4: Tuesday, December 8th, 2020. Coming up on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Civil rights leaders reach out to Cobb County Commissioners in Georgia to question the removal of polling places in advance of the January 5th runoff. We'll talk about that as well as talk with a spokesman from the Warnock campaign. Also, uh, folks, today the, white, the Supreme Court has denied the latest legal challenge by Donald Trump to throw out the results in Pennsylvania. Loser.com Donald Trump continues to lose in federal court. Uh, Joe Biden announces his COVID uh, response team today as well as his health team. We'll tell you about the African-American woman who has been chosen. Also uh, on today's show, Political is reporting that Congresswoman Marsha Fudge of Ohio has been chosen by Biden to be Secretary for Housing and Urban Development. Uh, we'll tell you uh, what that means for African-Americans. Also, history is being made at MSNBC where Rashida Jones becomes the first African-American to lead a major news network. In Tennessee, Brandon Jones is waiting to be executed for his role in a murder, even though five of the jurors who sentenced him say his life should be spared. We'll have those details. And talk about evil. Donald Trump uh, is looking to execute five folks before he leaves the White House. Why are they in a rush to kill people? Also, COVID vaccines have begun in the UK. Two black doctors, who we often feature here at Roller Martin Unfiltered, announced they are going to actually take the vaccine and will provide updates to all of us about how that goes. Also, Amazon pulls a doll off their website that describes uh, a black doll's hair as colored dirty braids. Mm. and uh celebrity Chef Huda is Jones us uh, for our black business segment to introduce her new spice line. It is time to bring the funk. I'm Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on
5: it. Whatever it is.
4: Georgia, all eyes on the nation are on that particular state and folks, all already Republicans are playing shenanigans when it comes to voting. Cobb County has announced that they will eliminate over half of the county's early voting locations. Uh, being that many of these locations are in black and Latino communities, the move will disproportionately affect people of color. Several groups, including the NAACP and, uh, and the Southern Poverty Law Center, Black Voters Matter and the ACLU of Georgia, sent a letter to the Cobb County Board of Commissioners and Cobb County Board of Elections and Registration to express their concerns. The letter stress the importance of early voting accessibility, st- stating that advanced voting opportunities are vital to ensuring voters can safely, securely, and freely participate in our democracy. The COVID-19 pandemic, which is ravaging the nation, has had extremely harsh effects in communities of color, especially, especially African Americans. And so, Uh, What they said is that, um, again, they say it is an untenable option for many voters. Now, activists are hoping Cobb County election officials are going to reverse their decision. Cobb made the decision, they said, because due to the drawn-out proceedings uh, of the November 3rd election, because of also the holidays, they don't have the additional personnel needed to to have those locations open. But there was a significant turnaround in Cobb County this year going for Joe Biden over Donald Trump. Cobb County also is the third most populous county. Listen to me clearly. The third most populous county in the state. And so voting rights advocates say this is an attempt to approve the chances of Kelly Leffler as well as David Perdue, in their battle against John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock. Hmm. Ain't that grand. Uh, folks, do we have our guest uh, ready? Let me know, please, uh, to talk about this here. This is a huge deal. I do want to bring in my, my panel as well. Michael M. Hotep, host of the African History Network show. Candace Kelly, legal analyst. Uh, and Rena Shaw, the Lincoln Project Women's Coalition. Uh, we're going to talk to, in a second to the spokesman uh, for the Warnock campaign about this very issue. I want to go to you first, um, Michael. And that is this here. Uh, again, the reason we have problems... It's because of this. Goes back to Shelby v. Holder decision. The yes. U.S. Supreme Court determined uh, that uh, it was unconstitutional the whole issue of pre-clearance. All right, mm-hmm. gutting, gutting that particular section. Republicans have been, have refused to fix that. As a result, since that decision, Republican-led states have been rushing to put in voter suppression. If Shelby v. Holder had not been ruled, if the Voting Rights Act was still intact, then they would have had to get permission from the Department of Justice to make one of these moves. This is one of those lasting impacts of that Supreme Court decision.
6: Absolutely, Roland, and thanks for once again uh, for having me on. So it, Shelby County versus Holder is extremely important, 2013 U.S. Supreme Court case. And when I speak across the country prior to COVID, I would ask many African Americans about that court case U.S. Supreme Court case, and they didn't know about it. You got to go back to 2012, 2012 presidential election. That preceded 2013, and there was a record number of African— the the turnout percentage-wise of African Americans voting in that 2012 presidential election that President Obama was on the ballot was a record number, 66.6% of African Americans registered to vote voted. And based upon my research, that was the first time the percentage— Of African-Americans voting was higher than the percentage of white people voting. Shelby County versus Holder was a backlash to that. And what happens is, Roland, is that because many of our people don't understand history, we don't understand these cycles of backlash that take place. Okay? Whether we talk about the end of Reconstruction, whether we talk about the end of the second Reconstruction, and Richard Nixon being elected in 1968, running on the platform of law and order which was a backlash to the black power movement, the civil rights movement, all of that. So right after Shelby County versus Holder, you had all these new states that started coming out with new voter ID laws. And then this impacted the 2016 presidential campaign where there were 868 fewer polling places. We, we're not, a lot of people, you connect the dots, but a lot of our people don't know that these dots exist to connect them. Because of Shelby County versus Holder, U.S. Supreme Court case 2013, and you had these, these Republican-led states that started shutting down these polling places because they didn't have to get clearance from a federal judge. Ari Berman, who uh, wrote the article that you um, uh, uh, are gonna talk about from Mother Jones, Ari Berman wrote, wrote a series of articles for the nation in the 26 during the 2016 presidential election dealing with this, and he has one that talks about how there were 868 fewer polling places. Today is somewhere around 1,600, 1,700 fewer polling places. So we have to understand how all these dots are connected. And lastly, if the African-American vote did not matter, we have to ask ourselves, why do people work so hard to suppress our vote? Why are they going to the U.S. Supreme Court? Why are they shutting down all these polling places, many of them in African-American and Hispanic largely populated communities? So we have to understand this history and understand anytime you have periods of time of uh, perceived advances by African-Americans, there's always a white backlash. Yeah. we got to understand that history to be able to defend and block against that backlash.
4: Candace, again, Cobb County says we simply don't have the staff. Are you buying that? I am
2: not buying that. And neither is Latasha Brown of Black Voters Matter. And I want to quote her by saying there's one thing that you can counter Republicans for, and that is being racist and voter suppression. And they have stepped up and they have risen to the occasion. And so in this situation, we see that the, 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 that the machine continues to work to make sure that the numbers of black folks cannot get to the polls. I mean, if we look at the overarching just everything that's going on from what Donald Trump is doing on down, this is really kind of like a, an overthrowing of the government. If we look at what that means... We're looking at people who don't want certain people to be in place, and that's exactly what Donald Trump is doing, and all the way down, all the Republicans in Georgia are working under the same kind of premise that Donald Trump is working on, and that's what we are seeing here. But. As Latasha Brown said, and as everybody has said, who's been working on the ground in order to make sure that these places aren't closed, they are not having it. They are going to work. They are in the trenches. They are working right now. This is something that wasn't a surprise. So they already have their plan B in action.
4: Uh, Rena, the, uh, what's interesting is that DeKalb County, they're actually expanding polling locations uh, for the runoff election. Uh, Cobb County also, Republicans, that that is considered a Republican county. They had a four to one majority. Uh, That lead has shrunk. I think it's now down to three to two. Uh, And so uh, there's no doubt uh, in my mind you are seeing the impact. And for them to shut down one of the early voting locations in a black neighborhood, we know what that's all about.
5: Look, I think we should talk about the facts here because we can wax on all day about what this really means for communities of color and particularly black Georgians and how this is really disenfranchisement at its sickest, most really, really bottom of the barrel type of actions from elected officials there. Um, But we, again, talking about the facts, turnout is everything. That's what this is all about, this runoff election. And we look at history and we see that black voters in Georgia haven't turned out in high rates. But this is the year that could be different. because the work of people like Stacey Abrams. She did the work in groups like Fair Fight, Black Voters Matter, New Georgia Project. Lots of African Americans were fired up after Stacey Abrams lost. And they've done the work. It shows in the it, I mean, it showed in the general election. So this is going to make a dent again. This work is is going to be impactful. Um, it's going to be tough. This is an uphill battle, no doubt. But in the last four years, there's been a huge increase in Georgia-registered voters in general. So when we look at the GOP, I see one thing happening here. And I think the GOP, uh, frankly, at the Georgia level right now is very much sabotaging itself as well. Trump is doing the Georgia GOP no favors. Um, However, you look at Purdue and Loeffler, and they're calling on the Georgia Secretary of State Raffensperger, who wrote the op-ed, saying that he went out and and he supported Trump. He and his family they voted for Trump, and and do, after doing what he did, he suffered the repercussions that Republicans like me suffered long ago. When you fall out of line, it seems like the mob is coming for you. He's had death threats and and the most vile things said about his wife. But again. Purdue and Loeffler, uh, Loeffler, sorry, are uh, are really talking about Raffensperger, and they're calling on him to resign. I think that's a little bit of a sabotage technique. And then they're talking about Trump's lawyers hijacking their campaigns, essentially. So they're telling Republicans not to vote for them. This is this is a again all goes back to the whole the election was rigged. Right. There's a lot of confusion. So I think maybe that actually does help the case of uh, of Democrats in Georgia. And uh, one final point, though coalitions are important. What we see happening in Cobb Co- County, really, is the coalition that's built by the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund, right. All Voting is Local, Georgia Southern Poverty Law Center Action Fund. These groups are pivotal. So it's important for these groups to come together to fight voter suppression because it shows the unified coalition. And that's honestly the first most important step.
4: Let's go to Terrence Clark is a spokesman for the Warnock for Georgia campaign. Terrence, welcome to Roller Martin Unfiltered.
7: Hey, you How y'all
4: doing today? Doing great. Uh, this is the Washington Post story here. Janine Eveler, who is the Cobb County Elections Director, uh, she says she simply doesn't have enough trained staff uh, in order to handle these number of polling locations. Quote, we lost several of our advanced voting managers and assistant managers due to the holidays, the workload, and the pandemic. She said the remaining team members who agreed to work would do so only if the hours were less onerous. We are at the end of the election cycle, and many are tired or just unwilling to work so hard, especially during this time of year. Then she says that the workers are—now, this was interesting here. She said that the workers are seasonal uh, employees hired and trained for statewide elections. Many of them were not willing to work 14-hour days for six days a week for three weeks. Now, here's here's what I just—what's just sort of interesting about this, um, Terrence. My parents are seventy three years old. They work the polls um these are paid jobs right. so these are not these are not non paid jobs These are actually paid jobs. My experience with people who work elections is that they are seasonal, and so they work those jobs. Are y'all buying this
7: <laughs> you know um Thank you for having me on here again Roland. I definitely appreciate it and I can't speak to what the uh, county official was talking about um, but I know that with the interest that's in this race there's so many people out here ready and willing to help work and secure our elections. You have folks like Fair Fight, ACLU, NAACP, the party doing all types of amazing work. You can find some people to work these polls Um, and Reverend Warnock and John Ossoff not only put out a statement yesterday highlighting, you know, why we need to expand access to the ballot, how important this election is, and how we quite frankly just believe in our heart that there are enough people out there willing and ready to do the work. Um, And we'll continue raising that flag. I think that, you know, they need the help. There's a number of people out there willing to do it. Um, And we've been fighting for voting rights. Reverend Warnock has been fighting for voting rights for years. Um, And I think that a number of people are a little bit suspicious about the intentions behind it. So we're going to continue trying to encourage people to go out there, early vote, absentee ballot vote, do what you can, because we see that there are clearly intentions um, by people on the other side potentially to limit who has access and where they can vote. Five hundred
4: thirty-seven thousand people voted early uh, for the November third race there in Cobb County. What's mm-hmm. interesting is that Cobb County experienced some people had wait times of five to ten hours. So now, by shrinking in half, you are about to exacerbate those wait times.
7: Right, right. And, I mean, I'll tell you from my own personal experience. So I live on the south side. I'm in a place called Henry County, um, another suburban area that's gone from Republican to Democrat. Um, Because you have precisely candidates like Reverend Warnock, John Ossoff, Stacey Abrams, who are clearly appealing to a growing electorate, it took me five and a half hours to vote, and they had all types of machines in that place. So I think that, um, you know, again, we are trying to expand access wherever we can. That's why we're encouraging people to let them know that it is safe to get your absentee ballot, Drop it in the drop box. You don't want to have to wait in those long wait times. If you don't want to have to be in those lines, potentially risking your safety, you know, during COVID, um, it makes no sense to limit access in the middle of a pandemic, right? And so you you have to ask yourself, what is the intention behind it? And I think we'll continue to do what we can, like I said, to make sure people recognize that early vote starts on the 14th. Try to get your, you know, your vote out there. We have so much on the ballot right now from expanding healthcare to climate change um, to voting rights um, in and of themselves. Um, it just seems illogical. You know, you wouldn't do this in a regular year, but we want to do it in the middle of a pandemic. It's, it's it's a lot of questions, I think, left to be answered there.
4: Um, and again, so we'll certainly see uh, that if folks are still waiting on that. Terrence Clark, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
7: Appreciate you.
4: Uh, for for the, the, the the really thing, in the moment, we're going to talk with Cliff Albright. Uh, he is, of course, he is the co-founder of Black Voters Matter. I'm going to go back to uh, my, 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 my panel here. And, and Candace, again, we I, I'm always talking about on this show how you have to connect the dots, mm-hmm. how you have to understand that decision by the Supreme Court opened the door for massive voter suppression. Thousands of polling locations in the South have closed since the Shelby v. Holder decision. Most of your voter ID laws put in place after the Shelby v. Holder decision. All of these voter suppression tactics all came after the Shelby v. Holder decision. By also connecting the dots, of course, massive turnout for Obama in 2008. Then folks mm-hmm. don't come back. Listen to be clear to people who are listening. People don't come back and vote in the 2010 midterms. Republicans flipped 16 state legislatures. That's why today Mm -hmm. they um, they control 30 or more, I think it's 31, governors' mansions and legislatures in the United States. And so they then were able to put these laws into place because, and that's how political gerrymandering, because... The gerrymandering came in right. after the 2010 election because that was tied to the census. And so all these things are combined. And so the reason why this race and why Republicans, they get it in Cobb County is so important because they know that if John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock Candace, if they beat Kelly Leffler and David Perdue, Democrats will have a 50-50 tie. Kamala Harris can right. break the tie and they can actually pass a bill to restore what was taken, what was, what was denied in that Shelby v. Holder decision. That's why, that's why so much is on the line here. If mm-hmm. Ossoff and Warnock are able to win.
2: Absolutely. And, and, and you've connected the dots so well. And I think that one important thing that really kind of was the tipping point was what happened with Stacey, Stacy Abrams. This really woke people up and that that's a big dot in the whole trajectory that you're talking about. People really had their eyes open, and then she put work in, got a million people registered, right? We had a lot of people that were surrounded, um, that got around and made that happen. Also connecting the dots, we have to look at what could potentially happen in the future in terms of what the Supreme Court looks like now, because we know that it's not going to happen there. So we definitely need to look at Congress. As you said, if it's a 50-50 tie, then we've got Kamala Harris to break that tie. So there is a little bit of hope there, but people have become more awakened. We were asleep. A lot of folks were asleep over the years. As you said, these midterm elections, people generally don't think about them. Now, seven o'clock on CNN, we're sitting at home on a Sunday night watching people down in Georgia because it's just that important, and all eyes are on Georgia. I think that people have gotten the message not only for this election but for more midterm elections to come and in the future. I think people have finally become awakened.
4: Uh, and uh, the, the reason I keep going, I keep using that phrase, uh, Michael, connecting the dots, is because mm-hmm. our people need to understand. Look, you say, look at what happened in North Carolina when Democrats were able to gain control of the North Carolina Supreme Court. That's why voting also matters, because guess what? You've got the sister there, Sherry Beasley, who is down 400 votes from the chief justice, which means that Democrats could have had uh, a much larger uh, lead. Now that's going to shrink. That is important because she then determines what is called up. That matters also because, again, for the folks, when they say voting doesn't matter, If 500 people, more people, voted in North Carolina, she is Chief Justice. That's how they were able to strike down a voter ID there uh, in North Carolina. That's how they were to strike down racial gerrymandering. And so we have to understand all of these. All of these things are interlocking, and how not voting can determine who does win, and then who wins then determines who controls the legislature, who controls the legislature then determines what laws are passed, and then who is on the county level determines who controls the the elections board, which then controls polling sites. All of these things go together.
6: Absolutely, Roland. Not only does it all go together, but my degree is in business administration. So when we talk about economic empowerment and building black businesses— In 2016, you had, you know, people saying we don't need to we don't need to vote. We just need to do economic empowerment and, you know, build businesses, things like that. I said, that's good. I'm all for that. I've done that. But you also need to elect a president whose economic policies are going to protect the economy that your Black-owned business depends upon to survive. You also need to elect the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate that are going to pass laws that protect the economy and are beneficial to uh, to your Black-owned business, to your families, to your communities, et cetera. So this is all connected, everything from criminal justice reform to um, uh, relieving student loan debt to the uh, Education Department, Environmental Protection Agency. So. This, this is all connected. Then when we look at federal judges, because, see, in, in 2016, one of the ways that uh, the Republicans were able to get people to come out and vote against their own interests <laughs> and vote for Trump was they said this is about the, the courts, the federal court and the Supreme Court. So Trump has gotten, I think it's 225 federal judges now confirmed, okay, and, and uh, uh, it pushed through the Senate, uh, and, and a lot of these uh, nominations are coming from the Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation. The Federalist Society and the Heritage Foundation. The, 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 the year 2043 is what has a lot of these white people scared. Not all of them, but a lot of them. And they know that by 2043, they will no longer be the majority population in this country. So they want to control the federal court for the next 25, 50, 35, 40 years. Okay. So this is why even even, even after um uh they didn't pass a coronavirus bill in the Senate. They're still ramming through these unqualified uh, federal judges. This but, is one of but, the biggest white affirmative action programs I've ever seen. Go ahead, brother. These uh, are unqualified people. Go ahead.
4: And, and Reena, I'm going to bring in Cliff Albright just one second here. But again, when we talk about um, how it's all interrelated, I, this is why we often on this show constantly say you cannot ignore city elections, school board elections, mm-hmm. county elections, state elections, federal elections, right. because what happens in... This state election could impact what happened is this county election. What happened is this county election now impacts early voting locations. And so everything is not about the president or U.S. Senate or congressional races.
7: Mm-hmm.
5: Well, Roland, I think back to what's interrelated when you when you mentioned that word. Uh, by and large, we are a nation made up largely of people that do not want to be inconvenienced. And by that, by virtue of being people who do not want to be inconvenienced, we have fractured ourselves as a society. And that has led to us caring less and less about what happens to our neighbors. So the neighbors that don't look like us, don't think like us, ideologically, ethnically, racially, we are so divided because we have figured out that to be less inconvenienced, we can just shut off caring. We don't have to show up to certain things, we have to care about certain things. So our value system is where all this really uh, comes down to. What is in our value system? I think about myself, for example, often when I compare myself to say cousins uh, of of Indian ancestry and who are the daughter uh, or sons of immigrants, like my parents. Um, And so I think about that and I think that it actually started at home for me. My dad got me really civically involved, got me caring about what happened in our government, not just because of my family's origin story, but literally because it was something that he weaved into our nightly dinner conversations and he made time on the weekends to take me to an NPR event, for example. I learned what national public radio was at a very young age. And so it became ingrained in my my family's value system and therefore it became something that was just natural to me when I was 18. Now, registering as a Republican was not something I don't think my father was very proud of, but he was glad that I cared so much. And I think that is the thing we do and we have to talk about as a nation moving forward, particularly this next year after this new administration comes into power, we really have got to figure out how do we get people to care? How do we get people to show up? and How do we make it a part of our family value system that voting, civic engagement, these things are paramount to having the society, however you see it, having the American society that we all want, that we all can thrive in? Until then, it's just going to be an every four years game. One thing, though, I want to I want to share with our audience a that actually did help me um, feel more encouraged about the situation in Georgia, for example. um, This one stat really stuck out to me, and it was the number of eligible but unregistered Georgians. In 2016, it was 22%. Guess what it fell. And in 2020, it was 2%. That's encouraging. That number is encouraging. That tells you people are showing up. They're figuring out something matters. I should show up. I should care. I should be a part of a change. Be- because this is something that has had to take a multi-profit right. effort from outside forces. Yep. But we can do it right by making it right in our families first.
4: Cliff Albright is the co-founder of Black Voters Matter. Cliff joins us right now. Uh, Cliff, uh Look, elections are not federal elections. They are actually state elections. And then not really state elections. They're also local elections. And so the reason I'm, I'm, I'm constantly walking through this process is for people to understand that, yes, you have the secretary of state. Uh, yes, you have the governor. But the decisions to exactly what early voting locations, those are county decisions. And so counties makes those, make those choices. That's also based upon budgeting. Uh, and so so we have to understand that. And so uh, uh, and we're seeing this now again with what Cobb County is doing. And look, it is fundamentally the Republican Party strategy to, be, to lead voter suppression, pure and simple. That is their strategy.
8: Yeah, definitely. And for all the reasons that we've already talked about on this show, they recognize that their numbers are decreasing. They're recognizing that the demographics are on our side. They're recognizing that we're We're increasing turnout. There were increasing registrations, right? And so it's at the local level. You've made the point very well about connecting the dots. The reality is, you know, we talk about Trump, right, and and, and what this Trump era has meant. Trump didn't just happen overnight, and Republicans didn't get control of stuff overnight. You talked about, you know, 2010. Even before 2010, they had a strategy which targeted the local level. As you said, county commissions, um, election boards, state legislatures. That's how they got to the situation where they were then able to gerrymander. After gerrymandering, they were then able to deepen their positions in Congress, et cetera, et cetera. If we're going to undo this, we've got to do it using the reverse strategy. We've got to do the same strategy, but to our favor. We've got to take over the same things, county level, local level, DAs, sheriff, school board, board of elections, all of that in order to reverse this tide that we face and we're doing it. And that's what's taking place in Georgia. That's part of the reason that we've had the success. And that's what has them, has them on the run. You don't cheat when you feel like you're winning, right? You cheat when you know that you're behind and that you're losing and you're scared and you're desperate.
4: Uh, When we, uh, now uh, you have uh, the folks there in Cobb County saying, Hey, sorry. We, we don't, we, we simply just don't have the people. Again, are you buying that? Are you buying that 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 answer? Because again, these are paid positions. He I, I like, oh no, they're they're just so tired. I again, as somebody whose parents worked the polls, they ain't got no problem making more money.
8: No, no. I mean, and if you look at those reasons that were in that letter, it makes absolutely no sense from a couple of different perspectives, right? They talk about, oh, it's the pandemic. It's um, you know, it's in the middle of the holiday season, right? It's a runoff election. Guess what? None of that was surprising. We've been in a pandemic now for nine months, right? We knew that there was going to be a runoff. Even if you didn't know that there were going to be two runoffs, you knew that the other race, that the um, that the Warnock race was going to go into a runoff because it was a jungle primary. Right. So we knew we knew all these things were going to be the situation. So to use that as an excuse as like these are things that just came out of the sky makes absolutely no sense. And nor does it make sense, as you pointed out, that you can't find workers, right? Because, again, one, you knew that you were going to be in this situation. But, two, it's the holiday season. Like, you mean to tell me that you can't find some folks? And the truth is you don't even have to have the poll workers that are just from that county. They could actually be from outside the county. You trying to tell me that you can't find 30, 40 workers to cover these six, five, whatever polling places? Wait a minute. Hold on one second.
4: Hold on one second. So you're saying that uh, to work? The polls there in Cobb County. You don't have to live in that county. They could actually, if there are workers who are in the cab or if there are workers who are in Fulton County, they can actually hire them.
8: That's my understanding. We can double check that. You know, certainly someone on your team can double check that and we can get back to you. But that is my understanding from what I read earlier today. But even if it just has to be somebody in Cobb County, you can. You can't tell me. I know Cobb County. There, there are communities all over Cobb County where you can find folks that are looking for holiday money, who have skills, or, or who, who who can be trained, right? Which is part of the issues that we've been raising all year long in terms of the training for these situations. So you can't tell me that they couldn't, knowing that you we're in this situation, knowing that we we're in a pandemic, knowing that there are some older voters that maybe wouldn't would normally uh, volunteer, or not volunteer, but would normally work the polls, that weren't available. There is no way you can convince me that they didn't know that they would be in this situation. At the end of the day, this is not a situation that they were trying to fix. They know what the turnout looked like, um, not just in the metro counties, but all over the state and black and brown communities. And they don't want to see that kind of turnout repeat itself in this runoff election.
4: All right, then Cliff Albright, of course, co-founder of Black Voters Matter. Cliff, um, what are your upcoming events there in Georgia? Our folks need to be aware of.
8: Um, I mean the main thing is, you know, it's this ongoing voter suppression, right? It's 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 um and not even at the just the county level, the secretary of state continues to launch investigations that are um um targeting voter registration organizations like the New Georgia project. You know, it's really ironic when you talk about the 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 hate and the threats that this secretary of state and, and even the government to a certain extent, I mean it's literally like in 63 Malcolm talked about the chickens coming home to roost. That's literally what this is. They have created an environment of hate, an environment of false narratives around voter fraud, right? An environment that has attacked voting rights organizations, and now it's backfiring on them, and the suppression is backfiring on them because the truth is, the more they do these suppression tactics, they're actually helping our cause because people who may not have even been fully aware of of the runoff race, right? Who may have maybe got a little disengaged. The more we hear about these stories, whether it's Powell County or whether it's Trump and all his fake litigation trying to steal the election, the more we hear about all this, the more that folks that otherwise may not have been engaged are actually starting to take notice. And so it makes our job actually a little bit easier, putting aside the the, the suppression itself, but the 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 narrative that it creates um, raises the awareness of folks that then lets us say, look, y'all, this is why we got to get out in these streets and we got to get to the polling place.
4: Cliff Albright, I truly really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right, folks, uh, breaking news. Joe Biden has picked uh, uh Congresswoman Marsha Fudge of Ohio to be secretary of housing and urban development. She is going to, of course, be leading that department. Now, uh, this is quite interesting because Fudge uh, really uh, was going after the agricultural secretary job. Uh, she was pushed vigorously by Congressman Jim Clyburn. Uh, but uh, J- Joe Biden has decided to name her as secretary of And so that uh, uh, the Washington Politico, the Wall Street Journal, uh, they are both reporting that uh, that particular news as well. We certainly will uh, wait for uh, further announcement. This follows, of course, the decision by Joe Biden to pick retired four star General uh, Lloyd Austin to be his secretary of defense uh, in the Pentagon. Speaking of that, today, a group of uh, civil rights leaders met with Joe Biden and Kamala Harris to discuss his picks for his Cabinet. Uh, in uh, that particular meeting there, uh, they talked about a variety of things. In fact, uh, the, the Biden campaign uh, released um, a read, a readout uh, of that meeting. I'm going to pull it up in a second. Uh, the NAACP, National Urban League, NAACP Legal Defense Fund, Laws Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, National Coalition of Black Civil Participation, Melanie Campbell, they were all in that particular meeting. And um, the, the idea again was all about uh, the issue of the various appointees. And so uh, again, this is the Um, This is the uh, email here that I received from the uh, Biden-Harris team. If we can go ahead and go uh, to my iPad. Uh, The readout says, today the president-elect hosted a virtual meeting with civil rights leaders joined by Vice President-elect Harris and Congressman Cedric Richmond. President-elect Biden thanked the leaders for meeting with him for their support and counsel over the years and expressed the desire that this was the first of an ongoing relationship with this administration. They discussed their joint priorities, including advancing racial equity across the board, enforcing civil Rights and assembling a diverse White House and cabinet that represents America. They expressed the need to make sure the public knows the historic nature of many of the president elect's diverse nominees and the need to galvanize the community around making sure that the Senate confirms them. The president elect was joined by Melanie Campbell, president and CEO, National Coalition on Black. Civic Participation and Convener, Black Women's Roundtable, Kristen Clark, President and Executive Director for the Laws Committee for Civil Rights Under Law, Sherilyn Eiffel, President and Director of Council, NAACP Legal Defense Fund, Vanita Gupta, President and CEO of the Leadership Conference on Civil and Human Rights, Derek Johnson, President and CEO of NAACP, Mark Morial, CEO of the National Urban League, and Riverdale Sharpton, President and Founder of the National Action Network. Uh, that was that particular meeting. Now, earlier in the day, uh, Joe Biden also uh, unveiled uh, his health team. And um, one of the folks uh, who he named to the health team there, of course, he picked, uh, you see, Dr. Uh, uh, Vivek Murthy, who is returning as a Surgeon General. Uh, you also have uh, the, uh, of course, uh, one of the leaders in California, is going to become Secretary of HHS. Uh, and so that's the team right there. But you see his COVID uh, task force chair, Dr. Dr. Marcella Nunez-Smith, who was picked. This is what she had to say today.
9: Mr. President-Elect, Madam Vice President-Elect, thank you so much for this opportunity to serve the American people. I'm proud to go to work with leaders who are deeply committed to science and to centering equity in our response to this pandemic. And not as a secondary concern, not as a box to check, but as a shared value wove it into all of the work that Sorry. we do and prioritized by every member of the Biden-Harris team. I'm enormously thankful to my research team and to my colleagues, to President Solovey and the other leadership here at Yale for supporting me in this work. And I'm grateful to all of the researchers and advocates who've blazed the trail, whose work on health equity and racial justice too often went unbelieved or overlooked across the generations. Most of all, I'm thankful to my family, to Jesse and our three children for their unwavering support and humor, and to my mother and her mother for modeling kindness, generosity, and courageous leadership through service. I have wanted to be a doctor since I was six years old, and I'm a proud general internal medicine physician today. But as I grew up, I came to understand that there were deeper dimensions to health beyond what I saw in the human biology textbooks that I borrowed from my mother's bookshelf. I grew up on St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands, a place where people too often die too young from preventable conditions. My own father had his first stroke in his 40s and was left paralyzed. I learned there was a term for what we were, an underserved community, marginalized by place and by race. In my medical training, I saw countless patients whose conditions were shaped by factors having nothing to do with science and everything to do with broader social inequity. And now, the COVID-19 crisis has laid those inequities bare. It is not a coincidence, and it is not a matter of genetics, that more than 70% of African-Americans and more than 60% of Latinx Americans personally know someone who has been hospitalized or died from COVID-19. The same disparities ingrained in our economy our housing system, our food system, our justice system, and so many other areas of our society have conspired in this moment to create a grief gap that we cannot ignore. It is our societal obligation to ensure equitable access to testing, treatments, and vaccines, equitable support for those who are hurting, and equitable pathways to opportunity as we emerge from this crisis and rebuild, including for those most marginalized communities, the undocumented, the incarcerated, the homeless. I'm grateful for this chance to continue this work, to earn trust and to find success through genuine partnerships with the people and communities who've been hit the hardest during and before the crisis. On this team, You will be heard, you will be counted, and you will be valued. Thank you.
4: Smith is a professor at the Yale School of Medicine and the founding director of Yale's Equity Research and Innovation Center, and she will serve as the COVID 19 Equity Task Force. Chair, uh, I want to go back to my panel. I want to talk about uh, these various appointments and also the meeting uh, with uh, civil rights leaders. There, w- one of the things, is that if, if you look at the group there, I mean, those are the traditional civil rights uh, groups. Uh, I-, I have made, uh, I have made uh, the point that we should. Uh, there should be more groups there as well. I, I think there should be an additional meeting, a meeting between with Black Voters Matter, with Until Freedom, with other upstart organizations, and not just the traditional civil rights organizations, uh, to present a much broader Black agenda. Your thoughts?
2: Absolutely. Um, you know, first of all, I want to say that I just loved everything that Marcella said, and I think that that opens some doors for people to really understand and see black women in a new light, because many times they're just underexposed. But certainly we need more meetings so that people can understand what we are talking about, what is important in the black community. One way that you find that out is you bring them to the table, and you don't bring them to the table just once for some type of a media event. You make them part of things that are going on. They have to be integral. So as things change, as things grow, as subjects come about, there can be people there who can guide them on what's really going on um, at you know at the at the bottom, and you know what what they need to know. They certainly know what people are thinking about at the top. But it's the people at the bottom and the middle before you get to the top that really uh, want their voices to be heard. So it's not just enough to, to, to stop at this one meeting or to have two or three meetings. And as we know, Biden, when he when he made his acceptance speech or when he declared and, and said, OK, yes, I'm, I'm when it became about that he was declared president, he said, hey, African-Americans have always shown up. And that is the truth. And now he has to show up make some types of, of, of rules and make some type of agenda to make sure that we're at the table because we showed up for him and now people are waiting for him to show up for us.
4: Uh, also, just uh, before I, we continue the conversation, a uh, bit of uh, breaking news is here, the U.S. House just passed uh, the defense authorization bill. Donald Trump is threatened to veto that particular bill because mm-hmm. uh, it renames Confederate bases uh, as well as he wants uh, to go after tech companies. It passed with a wide, wide margin, uh, meaning that uh, that if he does indeed veto it, they could actually override uh, his vote. Uh, Well, of course, we'll see uh, what happens with the Senate. And then if he does indeed go through with this threat to veto that bill. So just letting you know that, Michael, I'll go to you again. Uh, This, uh, you know, look, I I get the civil rights groups wanting to meet with him about appointments. That is critical. Uh, There are other positions, uh, uh, um, you know, there there are other positions that uh, come up that as he begins to, to, to feel it out. Uh, You know, uh, I've seen that the two people uh, leading contenders for attorney general are Federal Judge Merrick Garland, uh, and then mm-hmm. uh, Alabama former Alabama Senator Doug Jones. Doug Jones. Part. I ar- I argue, frankly, uh, that if it's down if it's down to Merrick Garland, and Doug Jones, he should pick Doug Jones. Why? Mm-hmm. Don't take Merrick Garland off the federal bench, the D.C. Circuit, knowing full well when you don't know if you're going to have a fifty-fifty tie in the United States Senate. Don't let Mitch McConnell control the process as to who actually gets picked uh, to fill that particular seat. That's just
6: my view. There. Uh, your thought. Go ahead. Well, no, I agree with that. And when I heard um, uh, Doug Jones was in the running, I, I remembered when uh, you had him on the show a few weeks ago, and, and we talked to him. And uh, it was right before the uh, election, and he ended up losing the election, but he could end up becoming uh, attorney general. So uh, the, the, the meeting that the civil rights leaders um, uh, had today, I think, was crucial. Uh, and, and I think some—I think some of our people don't understand the long game that they're playing. They what they're saying is we're not going to wait until all the decisions have been made and they complain about the decisions. We're going to use the leverage we have now while while they're uh making while, while the planning process is taking place to push our agenda, okay? Which is which is absolutely correct. Uh, the other thing is I, I think it would uh, be good also for the newer organizations and things like that um uh to have a meeting also. Um so I, I I think the way that people are approaching this and the way a lot of the civil rights organizations are approaching this, I think is different. And you may correct me if I'm wrong on this, Roland, I think it's different than how they did with President Obama, but I think they learned a lot uh from from <laughs> from you know President Obama. Because I remember you and I talked about this before. It wasn't until August 2013 that they presented President Obama with an agenda, a black agenda, quote unquote black agenda, it's about a 33-page black agenda. I have a copy of it. Okay, that was in the second term. Okay, but 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 you talk about how the uh, LGBT community presented him with a with a, about a 54-page agenda within the first 60 days of yep. the first term. Yep. You know, so so I think I think many of us are learning from. You know, past mistakes and things like that, whether it's intentional or just something new. You know, uh, he was the first uh, black president, but he was the 44th president in general. Uh, So 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 I think this is uh, uh, I think this is good so far, but uh, I think it's important to keep pushing. I want to see who's going to end up attorney general, but also who's going to end up as uh, um, secretary of agriculture. Secretary of Af- Agriculture is extremely important. The second in, the, uh, the
4: second largest budget uh, in the federal mm-hmm. government, again, always follow the money. That's what you always have to do there. One of the things that also that I hope uh, after he makes his DOJ pick, uh, I really hope, Rena, uh, that when it comes to uh, running the uh, Civil Rights Division, uh, that Christian Clark, someone like her, the Lawyers Committee has mm-hmm. chosen to run that. Uh, no woman has ever been Confirmed for the position, Anita Gupta was the acting uh, was the acting um, uh, leader of that division, but was never confirmed. That's a confirmed position. So no woman in history has ever been confirmed by the Senate to lead the Civil Rights Division. To me, uh, that would be a great pick to have someone like Kristen Clark restoring the integrity of that division, which has been completely decimated uh, under Donald Trump.
5: Yes, it has. And I think that is the hardest part to have watched to see Vanita Gupta do such an outstanding job there. I think people across the political spectrum could agree. We need to be having these conversations about what civil rights is in the year 2020, 2021. I mean, with the Kamala Harris coming in to the VP position, this presents a really robust opportunity for the administration to not just say, hey, we're going to do things differently than the previous administration. These are the wrongs we're going to fix. This presents an opportunity to bring so many new people, so many new groups to the table. And that was to your point earlier, Roland, it has to be done. That is the way I think this administration can win um, when a lot of uh, truly folks that feel confused right now about what's going on in the country, the fact the fact that the phrase "the election was rigged" is still a phrase that still is out there every day in mainstream media. Now, obviously, it is one that's propped up by by some far right voices, but uh, I think the unification that the Biden Harris campaign talked about can really happen uh, in the place of, of truly criminal justice as well. And Kristen, having been on the show numerous times talking about a variety of issues in which she and her colleagues have done the work to stand up for black communities that have truly borne the brunt of, of our federal government's inadequacy. It's incompetence in in creating a judiciary that serves all Americans. It's much like medicine. And on this show, I've talked about often how I'm I'm married to a physician. I'm the daughter of a physician. I'm the sister of a physician. So I've learned certain things. And one thing that stuck out to me at a very young age as a a brown girl growing up in Appalachia is when my mother, a lawyer, who actually explained to me uh, why I was taking a different dose of Tylenol, because my body metabolizes it differently than a white person's body. you look at clinical trials, who are largely the participants? Who are these drugs usually formulated for? White people. So, communities of color, we've been left out for a long time, whether you look at healthcare or legal. A number of, uh, of sectors are going to be, I frankly feel, unified by this administration. They're going to address some of the systemic um, uh, uh, racism that is that is apparent and, and obvious in so much of American life. Um, so, I'm, I'm definitely encouraged. Uh, I, I'm hopeful. That's my tone all the time these days because we have a president-elect Biden. We have a vp like Kamala Harris that have both uh, the, their transition team boasts a largely female staff and 40 percent of people of color. On this um, transition team. That is really huge. We should feel good about it because as you've always said, Roland, I really love this about you because we need to continue to awaken our fellow Americans to the very facts. Uh, and the fact is, uh, if we don't have more people of color in, in mid-level roles, in, in sort of senior roles, how do we ever get them to the top? There is no pipeline. So it's yep. good to name people to the top. We need to do that. But we need to create the pipeline for people of color as well. And I think this administration is well-suited to, to do so. They're already laying the foundation for such.
4: Uh, folks, uh, of course, other news. The Supreme Court weighs in on the campaign. We might as well play this. We only have 40-some-odd days left to play this, so go right ahead. Trump has been constantly lying about the election. Y'all hear the fool the other day in the Oval Office when he gave out another Congressional medal, excuse me, Presidential Medal of Freedom to a sports dude, uh, where he says he won, dude. No, 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 no you didn't. You lost. Uh, you lost. <laughs> you, you, you lost. Uh, and he's he's lost so much in the courts, Candace. It's embarrassing. He was begging. Oh my God, Supreme Court, please, please intervene, please. It's got to be real painful when they issued a one sentence rejection of this Pennsylvania lawsuit. Go to my iPad. The application for injunctive relief presented to Justice Alito and by him referred to the court is denied. <laughs> Can that that's it. It's one line. I mean, they have lost in state after state after a state, it is embarrassing to watch these fools. Uh, and, and, and again, he he's been begging, he's he's been calling Republican leaders of Pennsylvania, please, please, begging them to overturn the election. For for somebody who talks about stealing the election, they literally are trying to steal it. They are be- and they are begging people to overturn the will of the voter. You got this dumbass Ted Cruz, who's hmm. saying that that oh no, I, I'll argue the case. I'll argue the case before the Supreme Court. See, the, the only way you you, you kind of get to argue the case before the Supreme Court is if there's actually a case. A case. Um. That <laughs> that the, 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 there uh, is no case, and you know what? I I just just for the sake just for the the sake of it, just for the hell of it, myself, Candace. Uh Oh, just l- let's just go ahead and just listen to the whining of the right. Just listen now more
10: surrounding the legal battle out of Pennsylvania. Senator Ted Cruz, Senator, and let me applaud you because you have offered to step up. I have said from the beginning, if you're looking at the constitutionality of what the state legislature in Pennsylvania did, it directly contradicts the language In Pennsylvania State Constitution now that to me is a slam dunk case the Supreme Court should take you're now willing to argue that which by the way let the record note you have won cases in the Supreme Court well that's right Sean and and it's good to be with you this evening Uh, you know we're seeing across the country lawsuits that that are challenging uh, voter fraud that are challenging irregularities in the election and and in Pennsylvania this appeal to the Supreme Court raises very serious issues it raises pure issues of law and 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 I believe the Supreme Court should choose to take the case I think she, they should hear the appeal and as you noted the the legal team uh, reached out and asked if I would be willing to, to present the oral argument if the court took the case and I told them I'd be happy to uh... because particularly at a time when this country is so divided.
4: (laughs) Candace. Yeah. They got crushed.
2: They got (laughs) crushed in one sentence. And, And when you look at all of the facts, what we're looking at basically is a frivolous lawsuit. I mean, if you're going to go to court, you have to have something that you are arguing with facts that make sense that could be decided one way or the other. Here's the thing. The decision has already been made. When the Constitution says, we the people, guess what? We the people, and we have voted, and we have already spoken. So we have about 250 lawsuits across the country, and they keep being defeated. None of them have won. He's trying to create this narrative because he he just doesn't know what to do. Frankly, we know that he's probably very scared because once he is out of office, he's going to be facing more lawsuits lawsuits of his own that do have standing and that are not frivolous. At the end of the day, he probably owes the court some money because he's wasting people's time supporting this type of evidence or non-evidence to go through the court system. And 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 it doesn't make any sense. They're just frivolous. There's nothing behind it, nothing evidentiary
4: to support. I am loving the complete... Just how the right is unhinged on this, Rena. I am... In fact... <laughs> Uh, Lou Dobbs has completely escaped <laughs> any reality. Oh, yeah. Okay? This is this fool last night, y'all, uh, with Stephen Miller on his show. I, I just want to sh- You know what? I really should play the crazy-ass white people stinger right here. <laughs> I, I, I really should, because this... J- just, if y- y'all want to see Looney Tunes, watch this.
11: Americans do nothing, Stephen. Nothing. It's it's
8: what it's, in, it's hell an outrage. Is
10: wrong?
11: Right. Well, what's wrong with and, and
10: the Republican Party? Where is the outrage? It's really, load? on the rep- tens of millions, tens of millions of ballots. Where the hell load? are the Republicans? No, no signature checks. Where the hell are the yep. Republicans? You're right, Lou. Tens of millions of ballots nationwide. No signature checks. No citizenship checks. No residency checks. No age checks. No criminal record checks. Not even checking if you're alive or dead. Are we a third world country? Are we a banana republic? What does it come to if they count ever, only legal ballots yeah, well, I, from U.S. citizens let me tell you what it's this president to. gets four more years?
11: Let me and, and and you know from your lips to God's ears. Uh, the reality is that this president right now is fighting, and let's be straightforward about it. He's fighting all alone. And Ted Cruz has stepped up to say he'll argue before the Supreme Court. Why on God's green earth wouldn't the White House jump on it? Why shouldn't they and, accept and that
10: right now? And I'll just say this one other thing, though. If three state legislatures I just outlined,
11: one correction in no, Wisconsin. No, no, Stephen, I won't let you say I'm not going to let you Arizona. do this. I'm not going to let you do that. I'm not going to let you do that. I ask a question. You and I, we're reasonably smart and decent fellows. Why don't you answer me? That's all I'm asking here, Stephen. Why don't you guys jump and salute Ted Cruz and say, yes, we want you on the team now. My God, this is not a time for internecine nonsense on the part of the Republican Party, which is watching its blood drain into the streets because they're gutless.
4: I, I just got to play one more, y'all. He literally. So so Mark Elias is one of the attorneys. Who's been whooping their ass in court? They're, I mean, first of all, numerous people have been kicking their asses in court. Okay, mm-hmm. Lars committed a civil rights under law. Many others. Listen to Lou float this one, y'all. I I, I just got to show y'all crazy. I just got to show y'all. Watch this.
11: Why don't Why don't you guys put together a half billion dollars and go hire him, and get him out of your Get him out of your way.
4: Mark Elias, why don't the, why don't you guys put together? Wait a minute, read it. He literally said, "Why don't y'all go raise a half a billion dollars to go pay off Mark Elias to stop kicking your ass in court?" That's basically what he said. He said Mark Elias is whooping y'all ass, and I'm laughing because th- 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 this is Mark Elias's Twitter feed. He's showing you all of the times, go to my iPad, look at this, he goes, victory, victory, <laughs> victory, victory, all, of, I mean, he's showing all other, uh, he goes, what was filed, uh, and he's going, he goes, I- victory, 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 <laughs> Oops, another victory. And he's just going on and on. And this is what he tweeted to what he said. He said, I've decided to turn down the money and keep my soul, but find out what Lou Dobbs thinks is worth $500 million and sign up for my free email newsletter. Rita, go ahead. <laughs>
5: <laughs> oh, man. I mean, I think that's a lesson in, in grade A classy trolling. I mean, Mark Elias really taught us how to do it right. This is, this is, uh, Man, Roland, how much time we got tonight, because <laughs> there's a lot to peel off here for someone like me who made her entire career on the right and now has to deal with seeing these same people be triggered, lose their darn minds about what's happening to their frivolous lawsuits. And and Ted Cruz, for a minute, can we just back up and remember this is the guy who Trump insulted by saying something about his wife? Not just- something. And his daddy. And his dad. Okay. That's right. And his dad. Calling his dad, what, the guy who assassinated Lee Lee
4: Harvey Oswald?
5: This is is a new territory. I want nothing to do with this. I don't align with the party in its current form. I did not sign up for any of this. Because, I mean, it is just obvious. If you listen to Miller for a second there, you hear him talking out of both sides of his mouth. He's talking about just a banana republic? Buddy, what's your guy been doing for four and a half years now? He's been the one laying the groundwork for a banana republic in which he can come back again and again. So so we, we get it. The, the, these Trump minions are—they've um, lost their minds. They really Got have. It. They are unable to—I uh, mean, they're divorced from reality. They're unable to accept facts. And this is— let me just shed some insight here to the audience. I mean, any anybody with a brain can really see this for what this is. But I, I'd like to just put emphasis on the point that as somebody coming up in the Republican Party um, over these past 15 years in particular, what I saw was the Democrats are the devil narrative that really has won out now. This is what's happening here, is that Republicans have such a problem with Democrats. They've painted Democrats out to be anti-American. Got it that Democrats will kill your children, Democrats essentially are talking about depopulation stuff. I mean, this is the stuff that is winning with the base and making the party more and more right-wing looming. Marina,
4: hold tight one second. I got to bring in um, uh, Mel- Melanie Campbell right now. She, of course, Black Women's Roundtable. She was one of the participants in that uh, call today with uh, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris. Melody, uh, how did that meeting go? Uh, and um, what come- came out of the meeting? We earlier read the readout from the White House.
12: Um uh, thank you Roland. I apologize I can't stay on as long it's all as good. As well. go ahead. Can, can you hear me okay? Yeah, we got you. We got you. Go ahead. Okay, okay. Sorry. I'm, I'm having some audio te- technical things on my no, end, so We got
4: we got you. Go ahead.
12: Okay. Uh well I thought it thought it was very good a uh, uh, very good uh meeting. Uh we it was close across uh, uh President elect Biden and President Vice President-elect Harris, um, and so I think one of the key things was that there was definitely a strong a commitment, consistent commitment on dealing with issues of racial justice. Uh, when it comes to what I focused in on was in the conversation around black women, the role of black women, uh, You know, definitely thank them for uh, uh, selecting Harris uh, and also Harris.
4: All right. Having some issues uh, with Melanie's Skype right there. Uh, let's see if we can get uh, Melanie back uh, uh, back, uh, uh, back, with that. So I know she has another interview to do. So uh, let, let me know if we, have, uh, if we have Melanie back there. Real quick, Michael, uh, I, I, I want to go to you. When you see <laughs> these uh, Republicans losing uh, in, 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 in the course, but you also have the Republican Party who's absolutely nuts uh, because today, uh, a very basic function where Congress votes on a resolution telling American people they're planning for an inauguration. The Republicans wouldn't even vote for that.
7: Right.
4: So, well, so the message to Joe Biden mm-hmm. should be, dude, stop saying they're going to work with you. Okay? Mm-hmm. They, th- th- this is, this, Joe Biden had better understand something right now. They are not going to work with him. They are go- they, The Republican Party today, they are the party of Trump. Trump is going to announce on Inauguration Day that he's running in 2024. He wants to freeze everybody out. He is going to, the only way you are going to get rid of Trump, you have to have perform an exorcist in the Republican Party. And what he is doing, all these lawsuits and the money he is raising, he has these idiots, idiots like Sean Hannity, Idiots like Lou Dobbs, idiots like Mark Levin, all of these idiots out here on conservative radio, on television, the idiots at OWN, O-A-N, the idiots over at Newsmax as well. These people, oh, my God, it was all stolen, and they are so dumb. They've given this man $200 million to fight legal challenges. When you're getting your ass whooped, when you're one for 51, you got to be stupid to keep giving somebody (laughs) that money. But they're not going to work with Joe Biden. The fact that they are unwilling to say, Donald Trump, shut the hell up. Because here's why. Because mm-hmm. what Trump is doing, those voters, they ain't voting Democrat ever. When I say this is Trump's base, no. It's the Republican Party's base. And that's what they're doing. The Republican Party of all ain't coming back. Rena, ain't coming back. No, it is, not, so yeah. bottom line is it. So, matter of fact, y'all might want to stop calling yourselves Republicans because it ain't coming back. Michael, what they what they are showing when you can't even vote on a simple resolution—that's all you need to know.
6: Well, these are a bunch of cowards. But see, uh, on on my show, Roland, I talk about uh, how these Trump supporters who keep donating money to. Uh, so they can file these frivolous lawsuits. These are people who have not realized that wrestling is not real. This is who this is who they are appealing to. And when you look at wrestling, everybody's in on it except the audience. See the the the, the announcers, the managers, the people in the ring. Everybody knows it's fake except the audience. Now, one person who donated 2.5 million dollars to these frivolous lawsuits has realized. That wrestling is not real. His name is Frederick Eshelman. He donated 2.5. TheGuardian.com and Business Insider I got an article on this. We talked about this on my show. Trump supporter who gave 2.5 million dollars to fight election fraud wants money back. He's suing them to get his money back because he because he realized wrestling is not real. So they have to keep going with the bit. They got to keep going with the bit line. That's what Stephen Miller was doing. He know he knows it's time to call uh, uh, the Jim James Paul and Tyrone Moving Company. He knows he got to leave January 20th, 2021, but he has to go with the bit. So personally, I got no sympathy for them. They, they're suppressing their own votes in Georgia. They can't figure out whether they're going to turn out or not turn out or whatever. Who wh- They can't figure out which line person, which line Republican to listen to. So personally, you know, the, 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 this is the chickens coming home to roost. OK, what well, we got to focus on January 5th, 2021, we got to focus on on voting for uh, Raphael Warnock and, and, and uh, Ossoff. So that Democrats, and I'm neither Democrat nor Republican, but I sure as hell ain't stupid. I see whose policies are most beneficial for us and who's blocking those. So Democrats control the, uh, the Senate, and we can push these bills through and, and push these Republicans out. Uh,
4: it's just, it's, again, again, I, I, need, I need everybody who is watching right now, all of you who are watching on YouTube and Facebook and Periscope, I need you to understand what we are about to go through. I have been warning you about this. 2009, I said, we're living in the age of white minority resistance with the election of Obama. The election of Obama led to the election of Trump. White minority resistance. It is happening. Y'all, these people are unhinged. These are the same people who surrounded the home of the Secretary of State of Michigan the other day, Mm -hmm. saying the election was stolen and they were armed. Understand what is going on here. And Donald Trump is going to continue to whip these people up and whip them up and whip them up. And unless a Republican with guts, unless a Republican with guts stand up and says, stop it enough. Like Senator Pat Toomey, who said what you're saying about Pennsylvania is a lie. They're now attacking Brian Kemp. Mm-hmm. Trump called <laughs> yeah. Brian. Trump, they're now calling. So Kaylee McEnany was just, oh, I got Brian Kemp. He's awful. He says, y'all, they are completely on. Un- I'm, I'm just telling you right now, just be prepared. I need to bring in Melanie Campbell uh, 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 back. I think we got her signal straight. Uh, and so we got Melanie back. Uh, Melanie, I was talking about just how unhands these Republicans are, and they're going to continue to be that way. Again, just give us the readout uh, real quick of the meeting with the Biden-Harris. Um,
12: and I'm not sure where it cut off, but it, uh, w- the key was that we talked about uh, really being committed to dealing with the issues of racial injustice in this country, uh, things like voting rights and and uh, and the like. But I also focused in on black women uh, uh, being on the uh, statutory uh, uh, positions on the cabinet. Uh, he also said in that conversation that he was definitely uh, looking to have at least a couple of black women. I think since even while we were on the call with them. Uh, I think Marsha Fudge uh, came out that she would be HUD secretary. It didn't come out in him saying that. Yeah, she yes. Was, it, it, it's,
4: it's been announced, yes. But
12: it came out on the media. Uh, but but list, listing the, the, that we expect, as for black women who gave 90% of our vote, to see uh, ourselves represented. Many of my other colleagues also talked about other uh, African Americans, but men as well, uh, and the need for to make sure that whoever is selected for uh, uh, Attorney General, how critical that position needs to be. Um, that would have the kinds of experience to be able to address some of these critical concerns in our community. Um, folks mentioned folks like, uh, a couple of folks did mention folks like uh, uh, Tony, Tony West and uh, Deval Patrick, for example, uh, would be some of the folks that would be, uh, Definitely excellent for
4: those positions. Um, um, we talked about— you mean, you, mean, you, uh, mean for attorney, you mean for attorney general, Tony West general. or Deval Patrick? Um,
12: yeah. Attorney general, sorry. Right, because, of, because, general.
4: because what I've been hearing is that uh, Doug Jones and Merrick Garland are at the top of that list.
12: Uh, that didn't—well, I, I did not know that specifically, but what we talked about was the need for African-Americans and that we expect for African-Americans to be uh, represented well in those statutory cabinet positions. That was our focus.
4: All right, then. Well, uh, we certainly appreciate it, Melanie, for giving us the, that update, and then we'll see what happens. Thank you. All right, okay, thanks so thank much. You. I appreciate it. Uh, folks, I want to talk about this here. Um, um, this is something that is crazy. And so to understand how evil and despicable these people are, uh, 40-year-old uh, Brandon Bernard, he is slated to become The ninth person executed since the Trump administration recommended uh, capital punishment in July. Last week, a federal judge denied Bernard's lawyer's motion to stay the execution, despite the fact that several of the original jurors who initially sentenced Bernard to death row now opposed his forthcoming execution. He was just 18 years old in 1999 when he was arrested for his involvement in the slaying of a couple in Central Texas. The incident began as a foiled carjacking but ended with the husband and wife being shot in the head. Bernard was an accomplice in the act and allegedly believed the couple was already dead when he was then told by the government to set the car on fire. The case has received widespread attention with the clemency petition that has reached Donald Trump. Now, Bernard is currently scheduled to be put to death by lethal injection in the U.S. penitentiary in Terry Haute, Indiana, on Thursday. Now, here's what's interesting. Uh, this actually marked the 13th execution. I'm sorry, y'all, not ninth, the 13th execution since July. Uh, there was a 17-year hiatus uh, when it came to the death penalty on the federal level. Uh, but this is a line um, arena out of this AP story. It says this will cement Trump's legacy as the most prolific execution president in over 130 years. He'll leave office having executed about a quarter of all federal death row prisoners despite waning support for capital punishment among both Democrats and Republicans. Reno, what's crazy here is what are you in a rush for? They are literally rushing to put five people to death between now and Inauguration Day.
7: Mm-hmm.
5: It's a, sick, uh, it's a sick move. You know, It's one that I think really solidifies in the minds of a lot of us who are not mental health professionals or anything. But this president is a sociopath. He is sick in the head. And uh, this really, I think, counts to him as doing something. So he can say he did something. Um, I want to tell the audience I've been affiliated uh, loosely and a supporter of conservatives concerned about the death penalty for a number of years now. I think that uh, the Republican Party, what I've seen as I've made my career in it, has railed against abortion, anti-abortion. Everything is about, you know, life, life, life. Well, if you care about life so much, what's with executions? What's with playing God, essentially? And so I, uh, I really believe that we've learned a lot about the death penalty in the last 40 years in particular. And for three decades, what we've seen is is our, our elected officials tinkering with the death penalty in an effort to essentially make it more accurate and effective. But the system continues to fail. And that's the problem I have with the death penalty. Um, a number of Republicans in Congress do not have this issue. Like I said, again, these are the same people that speak at the March for Life rally every year. Uh, so, so, if you're a conservative out there listening, I mean, this this is a great group. Go check it out. Conservatives concerned about the death penalty here in Virginia. I'm a uh, I'm a supporter of an affiliated with the Virginians uh, against the death penalty. There's a lot we can do uh, to talk about this. I mean, Trump is, yeah. There's a number of words we could use. I mean, he's talked about bringing back the firing squad, uh, poison. I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, I, I, but but this the rate the pace at which they want to kill people. They- federal government to kill people. That should disturb every American. And uh, about Brendan's case, wow, rife with inaccuracies. And, 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 and I think what we know now, what courts use now, the forensic work that's been done by professionals to modernize that science, that did not benefit him
4: back then. And well, it's just, it's, just, it's just evil. It's just evil. And in fact, yeah, in fact evil. Candace, I want to read this here. Go back to my iPad, please. This is from the Associated Press story. Not since the waning days of Grover Cleveland's presidency in the late 1800s has the U.S. executed, U.S. government executed federal inmates during a presidential transition. Cleveland was also the last presidency during which the number of civilians executed federally was in the double digits in a year, with 14 executed in 1896. But I want you to, I want you to look at this chart here. It says death penalty in the United States, and it's dated, it goes back to when the death penalty was restored, Candace. You see there, the orange represents the states. The blue represents the federal government. There was an execution there in 2001— that was an execution in 2003 um and then I believe that was uh was was that, was that McVeigh I can't remember when he got executed but look look at look all those years of the states and all of a sudden this huge block right there in 2020 that is Donald Trump he wants as a part of his leg- legacy to be he killed more people than anybody absolutely else does. that's he absolutely he does. wants that as his legacy
2: he does, and, and and we can also blame Attorney General Bill Barr, because he supported this and said that, yes, this can happen, it can, it can happen quickly. There's a show that I watch called Botched. It's about plastic surgery, but it could be about the criminal justice system, because there are so many botchings as a part of this case. I mean, there were parts of this case on appeal where there was not even an opening statement that the attorney gave. gave. Um, and then, as we've talked about before, Um, We had some junk forensics, junk science here. You have poor counsel. You also have someone who wasn't given the benefit of the doubt that their age actually played a part in this. This is a guy who just turned 18 at the time. I think he's 40 years old now. Everybody, think about your 18-year-old self. This is why we have Age limits, let's say you have to be 35 to be president of the United States. This is why we don't have juveniles that will uh, suffer and go through the death penalty process. This is someone who just turned 18. There are so many studies that uh, have showed how the development of an 18-year-old male's brain kind of happens. And it doesn't happen as quickly as it does for for somebody else, obviously, who might be older or a different sex. So this, this case has just been botched from the beginning, let alone the fact that you have former jurors who have spoken out and said, my goodness, I am so glad that these days have come where I can finally speak and, and say my truth, that I don't believe that this man should have been put on death row. I think that one thing that is working in his favor, and we're talking about the clock ticking, and the clock ticking mean that when president-elect joe biden comes into office he doesn't believe in the death penalty so there might be some time that could be bought on his side though if he gets the celebrities if he gets people working for him on the ground i mean listen look at kim kardashian whether you like her or not she was in the president's office and she did get somebody pardoned and she has spoken out about this case too so there is some uh, some groundswell of events that is going on right now And it will be very interesting to see what happens in this case. But meanwhile, Here's Donald Trump saying it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Basically, just kill them all. Kill them all, because that's going to be a feather in my cap.
4: Yep, absolutely. Folks, got to go to a break. We come back. We'll talk about Amazon removing a racist doll from their listing. Uh, Yeah, uh, it's kind of basic, really. Um, It's kind of basic. Also, Chef Huda uh, joins us for our Black Business segment, talking about her new spice line. All right, y'all, more on Roller Martin Unfiltered after this break.
3: This generation, which gets so much inspiration from entertainment, mm-hmm. you know, this generation is influenced. I mean, it, every generation has their influence. Yep. But I would argue by and large, when you talk about Harry Belafonte or you talk about, you know, how it was, you know, in the 60s, 70s and even 80s, there was, you know, you had the entertainers, you you had the church, you had the activists in our day and time you know the church is somewhat oh, losing it's, its 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 influence entertainment influence is growing the activists are losing their influence so where do most you know this younger generation go they go to entertainment you know and so the influencers entertainment can actually move the needle and when you see people be, become active i love how this younger group of people are saying wait a minute we don't like what just happened with Kavanaugh. We're going to do something about it. We don't like the fact that there's no gun control. We're going to do something about it. And I do think that as tragic as these events are, they are becoming more galvanizing to get this younger group of voters, which is so influential, to get out and do what we know they can do, which is to help move the needle in a, in a massive way.
6: Neighbor as yourself. It's a value we all try to live by, but in Washington, it's been forgotten. It's clear, our politics are broken, overcome by a selfishness that rewards money and power, leaving far too many of us out of the conversation. I'm Raphael Warnock, and I see you. I see too many communities left behind, too many
8: hardworking people ignored. I'm running for Senate to be your voice. That's why I approve this message.
1: We're at Mom's Kitchen in Preston, Georgia. It's a family business. I enjoy making people happy, giving them a good meal. But since COVID, we had to close our main dining room. We lost all of that business. And we used to do a lot of caterings. We can't do any of that anymore. David Perdue knew what was about to happen. He was getting classified briefings about the pandemic. But instead of him being concerned about us, He off selling stock. We had no idea we'd have to close our businesses off. We'd lose caterings, and so many people died. And then when we needed help the most, he fought against the stimulus checks and to cut unemployment insurance. Purdue needs to come out and Ossoff in. Early voting starts December 14th. You got to make a plan to vote.
0: I'm John Ossoff, and I approve this message.
1: Who stood behind this pulpit was opposed by the powerful and wealthy.
13: He was called a communist. That he hated the police and his movement would destroy America. They attacked his personal life and distorted his policies. Sound familiar? It should. The hateful voices of old Georgia are back. They attacked Reverend King. Now they're attacking Reverend Warnock. It's disgusting. It's wrong. But with Mitch McConnell and Kelly Loeffler, it's no surprise. The Lincoln Project is responsible for the content of this advertising
4: when you start thinking about the uh, history uh, in this country of voting rights, one of the things that people don't like to talk about uh, was when you had Susan B. Anthony, who was battling Frederick Douglass. When you talk about the women's suffrage movement, there were some races in the women's suffrage movement. Yeah, that was real. And these races did not like the fact that black men got the right to vote through one of those Reconstruction Amendments. I thought about that when I saw this story where this was in Politico and go to my iPad, please. Uh, Biden's Pentagon pick frustrates women who sought a different history maker. The story talks about all these women who felt that Michelle Flournoy should have been named as the secretary of defense. She served in a key role uh, in the Pentagon under President Barack Obama. They keep saying this is the second time because they said she was passed over, had Hillary won. Well, she wasn't passed over. Hillary Clinton didn't win. So she wasn't passed over, but but the thing here is, and, and you got folks in here who are quoted this saying that, y- yeah, you know, w- w- look, well, we we um, we know General Lord Austin was ch- Lord Aust- Austin was uh, was picked, uh, but you know, uh, and yes, he's the first African American as historic, but they really wanted a woman to be picked for for, uh, for, for this job. Um, and so so this is one of those things that, okay, fine, my, my Michael, let's, let's just break this thing down, if we want to talk about it. Politics are about, uh, the spoils go to those who win. 55% right. of white women voted for Donald Trump. 90 plus percent of black women voted for Joe Biden. 80% right. of black men voted for Joe Biden. More black people. Black women and black men, black women and black men voted at a higher rate for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris than white people, than Latino people, than Asian people, Asian American people in this country. Numbers don't lie. Right. So, you know, this whole deal of, like, it, it, and so I just thought it was interesting reading this story. And, and the story says, but Florida Florida backers, while stressing they have no personal beef with Austin, nonetheless said the former undersecretary of defense was the better choice, not merely because of her gender, but because she was the most qualified candidate. Uh, I mean... Lord Austin's is a four-star retired general. Granted, he has right. to get a waiver from the House. Yes. Got to get a waiver because, again, the, the Pentagon is supposed to be uh, covered by civilian, and he has not been retired for seven years, seven years. Which, is, which is part of the law there. But again, it's just very—it's interesting. Again, this dynamic and the article. Here's the other deal. The article says Biden's pick frustrates women, <laughs> white women. We,
6: yeah, which women are you referring to? I'm just saying white women, cause it, I mean, I mean, I, 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 I. Go ahead. I'm. You know. Well, you know. So once again, when you deal with the, first of all, when you deal with the Democratic Party, you're dealing with a big tent. Number one, but um, you're right. African Americans overwhelmingly supported Joe Biden. Uh, Lloyd Austin is is more than qualified. Uh, now th- th- that doesn't mean Flournoy is not qualified, but it's um, you. You have, I think, um, some how, how should we say some a white uh, female grievance. I think also that that you have uh, in this as well. And you're right; it does remind you of uh, uh, Susan B. Anthony and Frederick Douglass because the white suffragists, the white. Uh, feminists who were fighting for the right to vote for women they took offense to the fact that African American men in 1870 because of the 15th amendment got the right to vote before they did and they were saying wait a second these are former slaves many of them are former slaves how do they get the right to vote before we do okay and this caused this caused some, some tension because you know you're going to have some of them that were abolitionists but they're like hold on wait a second we want you to be free but how you going to vote before we do OK, so, yeah, this kind of this kind of reminds you of something like that also, uh, you know, with, with, with this conflict here. But, you know, hey, it's a... <laughs> We'll see what happens.
4: Uh, Candace, uh, <laughs> again, when I see headlines like that, you know, women, I mean, my first instinct that y'all ask any black women.
2: Right. <laughs> I think that you're right. Did you ask any black women? I think the answer is no, and that's how they came up with the headline. But it also reminds me of the fact that when we're in the workplace, place, and I mean black women and white and white women, we do understand the hierarchy of how it goes when it comes to moving up the job ladder and when it comes to getting what you want at work. It goes, and correct me if I'm wrong, and this is how I see it and the people in my circle see it, you've got white men, and then you've got black men, if they happen to be there. There might be the O and O, the one and only. But if they're there, they're going to get more respect. And then next, you have the white woman, and then you have the black woman. So I think that just is, just is an example of, of what you're saying in that there, there is a hierarchy, and white women are mad about it, and they're still mad about it. And they they, they we see this coming out in headlines like this. It, it makes sense. I see it in the workspace, and I think that this is what we're seeing.
4: Well, that
5: waiver you talked about, Roland, Mattis had to have that same waiver as well. Right. Um, but I, w- I woke up this morning and I saw a tweet from Congresswoman Elisa Slotkin uh, talking about. Uh, you know, being critical of the Trump, of General Lloyd Austin. And uh, and, and I, I should read it. She said, I have deep respect for, for General Lloyd Austin. We worked together when he commanded U.S. forces in Iraq, when he was vice chief of the Army, and when he was the CENTCOM commander. But choosing another recently retired general to serve in a role designed for a civilian just feels off. And I, you know, my first instinct really was really, is this what you're gonna come with after everything we've been through as a country these past four years? Not just uh, unconventional picks across the board. Well, Madison and McMaster certainly were not the, were the types of picks that that Republicans by and large uh, applauded for the Trump administration. But, but what I didn't love about the Congresswoman's tweet is that I, I just felt in my gut that would this tweet have come if it was anybody else. And we know that Jay Johnson has also been um, somebody who, who was sort of in contention as well. Uh, Michelle Flournoy, yes, she's beloved. But I think the Congresswoman uh, Elisa Slotkin's tweet indicated exactly what we know is at play here, is that if it's a black person ahead of a white woman, what are we talking about here? It's a discomfort. And so I don't really have so much of a problem um, with General Austin, I mean, I haven't really—I don't know that much about his his background, except for that what I have read of it and what I, I know of it. And, and the congresswoman had a thread for anybody that's interested. She goes on and on about you know his experience, but oh, he hasn't been in private life long enough, and we really need a civilian over there. I just don't get it. Why are you picking these fights at this point in time? We are at a at a crossroads in the country. Uh, the current occupant of the Oval Office has not conceded, and look, he's not legally required to do so, but he continues to go out there and and say that this election is rigged. I mean, our democracy is on the line more so than it has been in my lifetime ever before. So, so these are the battles they choose to pick. Shows us exactly what's going on inside their heads.
4: Uh, and again, look, I, I'm, I'm just saying, I mean, look, numbers don't lie. 55% of white women voted for Donald Trump. Five, five. An increase of 2% over 2016. Right, right. An increase of 2% in 2016. So, um, but, I, but part of my deal here also deals with how media frames these things when they say women take exception to this, where, again, my mind goes, are we talking about <laughs> black women? Speaking of black women, uh, news was made uh, yesterday when MSNBC announced that Rashida Jones is going to be the new president of MSNBC. She is going to be replacing uh, Phil Griffin, who has spent 25 years uh, at the network. Uh, the decision uh, to name her president means that she becomes the first African-American, uh, the first African-American uh, to run a major news. I didn't say first black female executive in the history of of news. No African-American has ever run a network news division. Not one. Okay. Not one. And so um, what's important here, what are we showing here? I don't thank you. What was that? All right. So um, just keep it on Rashida. So here's the deal with 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 this right here, with, with what's happening here. If you look at the numbers, look at the numbers at CBS News right now, Kim Godwin, is the number two at CBS News. Uh, Mark Whitaker, who was awful at CNN, I was there. Uh, He was the number two at CNN uh, as the managing editor. He was awful, okay, and I got no problem saying it. Uh, So when you look at these networks, you have never had an African-American who has ascended uh, to run a news network. Now, um, let me unpack this. Let me unpack this, Candace. Um, it is absolutely, you know, I'm, I'm a huge believer it's important that we uh, we are in all of these places. But what we're talking about here, and this is why this is important. This is important, Candace, because this is an operational role. This is an operational role, okay? And the reason that is important is because... For, for long, if you go back to the Kerner Commission report in 1968, where they examined the race rise in 67, mm-hmm. they said there were, there were two right. nations, one, uh, one black and one white, and they called on the media to diversify. So for the longest, African-Americans have talked about only the excitement of seeing faces on the air. And so recently they announced that jo- Jonathan Capehart, Tiffany Cross are going to be hosting uh, weekend shows, one on Saturday, one on Sunday on MSNBC. As the vice president digital for the National Association of Black Journalists, I have been making the point, that it's the operational roles important. Because why is that? Because Rashida Jones as president becomes the person who picks who goes on the air. Right. That's what the power is. She will be controlling the daily news meeting in terms of what the direction is for the network, digital and linear, all day. And so and that's the thing that where where cuz see every day when i when i'm looking at uh, deadline.com i'm looking at variety and the hollywood reporter and i'm looking at the rap and i'm looking at all of these different positions they're being hired at netflix and warner media and disney i'm looking at the faces and the reality is this here there are very few black faces who are hired in these operational roles oh no 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 i i, I get a so and so got development deal uh, over here uh, at this network, and so-and-so got this, this deal over here. And i let me tell you something right now. And, and I get it. And he, he, he people understand that people oh, yeah, but Stephen A making $8 million a year at ESPN, and, 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 and Robin Roberts uh, is making $15 million at Good Morning America. Mm-hmm. Guess what the executives are making? Mm-hmm. And they don't have to worry about hair and makeup and how their nails look and what people are saying about them and they can do those jobs, man, until they're 70, 75, 80, and they can go on on. They are operating in the millions. That's that's where we begin to understand the power dynamic. And so I think for a lot of us, it's great to be to see the faces being hired on air, which is important. But we had better focus on also challenging these companies to make sure we're getting hired for the, for the power positions, and that's the operational jobs. Candace, go ahead.
2: Absolutely. Roland, I teach TV and I put a lot of African-American men and women out in the field to be reporters and to be in newsrooms. They tell me the same thing all the time. I am the O and O in my newsroom, or a one of two. By O and O, I mean one and only. So, and generally, along my career, that has been the case, that you look up, you're the only one kind of really having the opportunity to advocate to say what goes in the news. Because once something goes in the news, then it becomes part of people's conversation. Then they see it as important. This is a connecting the dots, just like you were saying. If they see it as important, then they're going to, you know, put it on the top of their agenda in terms of what we need to vote upon or what makes— you know, what's right, what's wrong. If people are talking about it, then it's going to be on somebody's agenda. So we need people at the table. And you're right. This is very important because she is going to be making decisions about who goes on air. I think that we've started to see the changes already, as you've seen, because not only are they on air, but as you know, as being the host of a show, you also make decisions. You're at the table. You're coming up with the rundown to say, this stays, this goes, this goes at the top of the show. What type of guests do I want? I'd like to have more diversity. We need somebody who's Latino. We need somebody who's Native American. We need all of these things. So this is a big deal and a long time coming. And just like any other position that somebody gets that's big who's African-American, we're going to start seeing people change their views about how they see people in the newsroom in roles of power, because they are just not there.
4: This is is the thing, frankly, um, Michael, when we talk about, again, I'm going back to black power. Yes. Black power it's understanding how it's being used in leverage the point that Candace just made I am not just the host of the show I'm the managing editor of the show that was the case when I was at tv1 as well which meant I had final say-so on the editorial content of the show that is the key who controls the narrative? What stories are now being emphasized over other stories? What now becomes uh, the messaging? Where we begin to shift resources? What parts of the country do we go to? All of those things matter and it matters who is sitting in the position because historically in media, the reality is like, just like in corporate America, white men are in control of
6: media in America. Well, this is extremely important, brother, and, uh, you know, I talk about how power is the ability to define and shape reality and have other people accept your definition of reality as if it were their own as Dr. Wade Nobles teaches us. So when we deal with media, and I have a background in media, um, this influences the conversation. This influences what people are are talking about, what they're reading. Uh, when you uh, con- when you have control over content like this at MSNBC, this 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 influences the snippets, the uh, video clips that show up on Facebook and YouTube and Twitter, things like this. Articles are then written about this as well. This is an opportunity for us to get more of our issues pushed out nationally that influence legislation that influence policies etc but it's also important for us to understand we African Americans pay for these positions because these positions are because advertisers corporations advertise with MSNBC they take that money and then pay these people for these positions well a lot of these advertise a lot of these corporations get money from African Americans. So we also have to understand this, uh, on this other side, is leveraging our economics to push harder for these various positions, not just at MSNBC, but at CNN and, and things like that as well, because we pay for them also. And this helps us, in addition to African-American-owned media, we need that. So I'm not knocking African-American-owned media. I want people to understand me on this. We need, we need both. We need, we, need, we need both. We need both, because we pay for them. We pay for those positions also. So this is extremely
4: important. So, so so, Rena. And again, it, what, what, I, what I'm looking for people to to, to understand on this is um, looking for them to understand how you must see this whole deal. Understand, and, and, and again, I go back to power, who is in power, how power is being controlled, how power is being defined. Because now, having Rashida Jones sitting in the position of president now it's, who are the contributors?
8: Uh-huh.
4: that's who right. Who are the correspondents? Who are the executive producers? Who are the senior producers? Who are the line producers? Uh, who are the associate producers? Who are the interns? Uh, and again, all those things matter. And now, again, now you're able to now bring that. And, and, and this is where also, with a Rashida Jones being in as president, and this is the key, and see, this is why I need people to understand, everybody out there, when y'all, because I go back to 2009, when I criticized the Obama White House for the lack of black people in the press office, because I say it is, who's a junior now becomes a senior in the next administration. And so what then happens is, when Rashida Jones comes in now as president, she can now install her own team. That's right. And so guess what? What, what if all of a sudden, what if all of a sudden, Rashida Jones goes, well, you know what? My my vice presidents and my EVPs and my SVPs, I want more black people. I want more Latino people. Now I'm assembling my own team. Now, folks, listen, what that now does is Rashida now is positioning the next wave of senior black And Latino executives, where other companies then begin to hire. So, if all of a sudden, if her Mm -hmm. team of 20 execs are mostly white, she comes in, and all of a sudden, it's now 50, 60 percent, or more people of color. When, because Jeff Zucker's out at CNN, when Warner Media gives him the boot, they're going to be looking to play. Who do we hire? The reason we are never in position for the power positions is because we never ascend to a senior level. And so that's why you got to have black people who when they do get power, they are committed to saying, I'm not going to be the only one, and they're going to say, I'm going to hold that door open, damn hold it open, I'm going to go blow the hinges off. And so now all of a sudden you're able to build capacity because you now have the power position.
5: That's right. Media has such an impact on our lives as we've seen over the years. I mean, it's just grown and grown and and how we see the world is shaped by major networks like MSNBC. So I just I just want to take a pause here and say that when I saw this news about Rashida, I just actually ended up shedding a couple of tears. and and I really get goosebumps because it's just so big. It's so, so big. I was celebrating uh, this whole time the Biden Harris transition as it goes along and they're naming women and people of color and and they're really changing what the executive branch looks like because there's been such little diversity and then i look at news and i see this beautiful black woman who is, seriously is going to be a power player that is setting the narrative for years to come it just makes me so happy having become a part of all this not as a, a journalist in any way but as an opinion contributor as an expert guest um i, I have to say number one My hat's off to you, Roland. I started, uh, I met you in 2017. I started coming here on your show. And in 2018, I was invited on MSNBC, and I've been going there since June of 2018. You create a pipeline. Media needs a pipeline, and we can't do it unless it's all done this way. So, yes, there needs to be black media, as equally as important as Rashida being named president over at MSNBC. This is all of an above effort yep. uh, because what it does, really, at the end of the day, it lifts others as we rise. And because I started coming on this show, I've met so many incredible people that have lifted me and my rise. And I'm trying to look back and do the same because this is the thing. If we don't tell our story stories, there's somebody out there telling them for us and they're not being told authentically. Yep. And, and, and frankly, then the, the nation is being done a disservice because we don't have the nation's diversity, the growing diversity of the American electorate reflected in how our news is given to us. Because people often think that, look, news is spoon-fed to us through a variety of outlets these days. Some of that's true. Um, Actually, a large bit of that is true. But there remains these these fundamental uh, shifts in news. And one of the greatest ones is in how opinion contributors and expert guests like myself routinely join broadcast journalists on air to augment conversation. And that's really important for average Americans to know is that I'm not out there giving you a factual take. I'm giving you an opinion take. And so when we realize how media works for us, then we became a more engaged, informed citizenry and the country is better off for it. And, And, And just one last thing, about lifting others as you rise um, because I see what Cesar Conde, who was named the, the chairman of NBC Universal Group back in May of this year, I see that he's he's really doing good on his promise and his commitment. He set a goal of having a 50 percent diverse workforce across his division uh, back in July. And uh, I, I think this is this is really monumental with Rashida at the helm there. We're going to see some shifts. Uh, it's not just about who's appearing on air. It's about when they're appearing on air as well.
4: So let Allow me to make this final point to pick up what Rita said when she talked about pipeline. When -hmm. you are intentional with it. Um, And don't go back to the panel because I'm doing this for a reason. Okay. So you see the announcement Tiffany Cross getting the show on MSNBC. Here's how she got on TV One. Jamal Simmons hits me up and says, hey, Tiffany Cross has this newsletter called The Beat. He said, man, she'd be great for your show. I was like, all right, cool. So then we booked her. Then we started booking her more and more and more. To Rena's point, all of a sudden, all the networks start calling. The exact same thing happened when I put Angela Rye on my show. I just sat there. I got a television on right here. I keep it on. I just saw Paul Butler... Legal analyst mm-hmm. on MSNBC. Right. Y'all, right. go to go to YouTube. You can see Paul Butler, Georgetown professor, when he was on my TV one show, Washington Watch, back in 2009, before mm-hmm. MSNBC called. I can go down the list. The number of people, sure, Michael Singleton, mm-hmm. Paris <laughs> Denard. I right. can go David Swerdlick. I mean, we can go... Everybody's talking, about, everybody, everybody's talking about, right. uh, talking about uh, 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 Lauren Coates. Uh, uh, mm-hmm. Man, people are like, oh, my God, so Lauren Coates filling on CNN. Mm-hmm. Guess where the first show she filled in? My mm-hmm. TV One show. What I'm trying to get everybody to understand is the issue is not, yay, a black executive. The issue is how do we as African Americans, when we are in a position of power, create the opportunity for others who would ordinarily be ignored to be able to come into the door. Anywhere. I spent six years, I need y'all watch it, understand, I spent six years at CNN, and I watched how contributors got blocked. I watched how great voices never got a shot. And I said, nah, uh-uh. I'm going to do that. So when I hosted, when I filled in, when I I did specials for CNN, no, no, we're going to put that person on. Y'all, I'm cracking up laughing watching Steve Kornacki getting all his love. I can show y'all when he was on Pilots I did at CNN. Guess who was a guest on a Pilot I did at CNN? Rachel Maddow. Guess who was on... (laughs) Pilots that I did at at CNN, Melissa Harris-Perry. So what I'm trying to say is this is where when we get in positions of power,
3: we must use the power.
0: That's right.
4: That's what they've done. Use the power. And when you use the power, and then all of a sudden you you begin to infield, that's why I can sit back. You ain't gotta shout my name, but when I turn that TV on and I see a black person, Gianno Caldwell's on Fox News right now, where did he get his start? On TV1. Mm-hmm. TV Y'all, one. that was deliberate. It was deliberate. But that but the only way that happened is because I had the power to make it happen. And so that's what's key for our audience to understand. We must, when we get the power, we must celebrate it. Then we must use it. Panel, I appreciate it. Thank you so very much, Candace, Michael, Thanks and Marina. I appreciate it. Coming up next on Black Business yep. Segment, we'll talk with Chef Huda about her line of spices. Next on Roller Martin Unfiltered.
7: You cannot fulfill your life if you're not willing to engage in the tactics and strategies that makes your own life grow and helps you to build the community in which you want to live. Voting is a singular method for a people locally and regionally to govern themselves.
11: When the going got tough in business, David Perdue outsourced American jobs overseas.
10: In a deposition, Perdue testified he spent most of his career outsourcing. You made a career
7: of outsourcing. How do
11: you defend those? Well, defend it, I'm proud of it. When the going got tough in the Senate, Perdue hid in the airport bathroom and even stole someone's cell phone who asked him a tough question. I stole my property. When the going got tough with COVID, Purdue hid critical information while selling his own stocks.
7: Records show that Senator David
2: Purdue bought and sold stocks shortly after a private Senate briefing on
5: the
10: virus. It's not just that you're a crook, Senator. You're attacking the health of the people
11: that you represent. Now Purdue won't even face his constituents backing out of debate after
0: debate. Enough incompetence, deceit. Corruption, division, change has come to Georgia. Change is coming to America.
11: Georgia needs a real senator, not a chicken Purdue. Midas Touch is responsible for the content of this advertisement.
4: Uh, all right, folks, uh, real quick here. Uh, Amazon, uh, I got to tell you this story here. Uh, Amazon has removed uh, a particular doll uh, from their store shelves. Uh, let's just say uh, it, 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 it had uh, a little problem uh, on, on the race side here. Um, the doll was described as a, a dolly, yearning, 14-inch adorable black doll with casual red skirt and colored dirty, braid, fashion, gorgeous doll for 83+. plus. A Chinese company who has been working with Amazon for less than a year posted the doll for sale on Amazon. May, uh, many find it interesting that when the Chinese company posts white dolls for sale, it doesn't place race or the word dirty in the description. Although Amazon has recently removed the doll, many people aren't letting Amazon off the hook. Earlier this year, Amazon had to remove another product from its site, this time, it was a pair of shoes described as nigger brown. Some people have had enough, uh, and some are saying to boycott Amazon as a result. But again, that doll uh, has been yanked. All right, folks, every Tuesday, we talk about we talk to a black business owner about, about their company and their wares. And so joining us right now is Chef Huda. She has a, a new line of spices uh, coming out. So, uh, Huda, what's up with these spices? What's up with this line of spices you got coming out?
13: Roland, how are you? Great. Good, good, good. So I started Just Savor Spices because I wanted to put uh, salt-free options into the universe that were bold in flavor and healthy. Since then, uh, we started the company, and uh, we've been doing wonderful. Uh, Everyone's cooking at home right now. We've extended the line to uh, offer traditional salted flavors as well. We also have gourmet salts and gourmet sugars.
4: All right, so, okay, so, okay, hold on. So I need to explain... What the hell are gourmet salts? I mean, where I, I come from, salt is salt, okay? It's some, it's some white damn salt, it come in a bottle. Like Now we got gourmet salts?
13: Listen, I knew you were gonna ask. So we have our, they're basically flavored salts. So we have our Merlot salt, which is fla- uh, flavored with Merlot wine. We have our Applewood smoke, which is one of my favorites. It has a smoky flavor to it. It is beautiful on a lot of different things. And we have ghost pepper salt. So when you say gourmet, it just means that you're working with the highest quality of ingredients, but you're also adding flavors as well.
4: Okay, so you also got gourmet sugar?
13: (laughs) Yes, so we have a maple sugar, uh, which is reduced down basically uh, maple syrup. And it's beautiful for baking, especially during the holiday season.
4: All right, so so, so, with, so, with, so with these spices, uh, first of all, where, where can people go to actually get them?
13: So justsavor.com is where we're selling them. And currently, we have extended our Black Friday uh, sale. So right now, there are items on the website that are um, 40% off. We have our spice box, which is perfect for holiday season. It includes three spices, a cooking class from me, um, and recipes from me. So it's a wonderful thing, especially because everyone's cooking this holiday season.
4: Uh, so just uh, com, y'all this is the website go to my iPad please and so you'll see uh, the website here uh, and uh, once you go on here uh, you'll see uh, all the stuff on here so so when you were, so when you were putting uh, this together why yeah. why what what I mean, wh- wh- were you not satisfied uh, like I'm sitting here like so explain this uh jam and jerk spicy garlic madness ghost pepper sea salt, Um, what, what, what the hell we got international flavors, holiday gift box. Then we got the fire and smoked holiday gift, Cajun kick, Southern sweet heat, barbecue, applewood smoked sea salt.
13: Yes. So for me, just like a lot of business owners, we had a catering company and I also was doing private chef gigs uh, for some of my clients, uh, before COVID. And of course we had to pivot. Uh, I started the Spice Line a couple years ago, but kind of put it on the back burner because burner, we were doing so well with the catering and appearances and things like that. And COVID kind of came in and just said, hey, we have to pivot. And I thought it was a perfect time to bring these options to people and hopefully inspire people to share uh, recipes and share moments with people over food.
4: All right, then. And so also let people know you're giving. So you're giving 10 percent to charity.
13: Yes, absolutely. So part of my brand has always been to give back to our communities. So every purchase, we give back about 10% two different charities that we work with. I'm an ambassador for American Heart Association. That's one of the reasons that we started with the Salt Free Line because I think it's really important that we all do something that's near and dear to our heart, especially in this trying time.
4: All right, then. Uh, Chef Hooter, we certainly appreciate it. Uh, Congratulations uh, on this line. You're right. Everybody has to pivot. Uh, And, yes, a whole bunch of people uh, who uh, ain't got no clue when it comes to cooking. Uh, and they are—they—they uh, they need as much help as they can. Praise the Lord! I've been cooking since I was eight, baking since I was seven, so I'm good. Yeah. M- Mom and Daddy handle their business, so we straight. <laughs> but you're absolutely right. We appreciate it. Thanks a lot.
13: Thank you for having me. Happy
4: holidays. All right. Thank you very much. Hey, y'all, when I was talking about, uh, of course, Rashida Jones, uh, I had it up. I did not go to my iPad. Go to my iPad now, please. Shout out to uh, Monica Richardson. She also, on the same day Rashida Jones was named as the president of MSNBC, uh, Monica Richardson was named as the first uh, black uh, African-American to lead the Miami Herald Newspaper. So I wanted to be sure to shout out Monica there uh, as well. All right, folks, uh, that is it for us. If you want to support what we do here at Roland Martin Unfiltered, uh, the segment we just did there with Chef Huda is a perfect example of what I'm talking about a pipeline and power. And that is the ability to be able, to, so we created that segment specifically to allow black businesses to be able to come on and talk about their particular products. And so people send me emails and so we take a look at those and we see uh, who we have on. Last week we had the folks, of course, with the face shields. Uh, and uh, uh, and so I got an email from uh, the CEO who said that, uh, man, they, they got a number of orders came in uh, as well. Uh, folks are gifting these things. And so, uh, this is why we do what we do. We are independent. No corporation owns us. I don't have Comcast's money. I don't have, I ain't got Byron Allen's money. I don't have Robert Smith's money. I don't have uh, Viacom, uh, AT&T, Verizon money. Uh, We are building something here that uh, we are able to control the narrative and actually build capacity. Okay. Our goal is real simple. Our goal is we want to be able uh, to build this uh, not just one show, but multiple shows have much larger staff, be able to cover more things across the country, so your support is vital. Uh, if you want to join our Bring the Funk fan club, you can do so by going to Cash Out, dollar Sign, RM Unfiltered, paypal.me forward slash rmartinunfiltered, venmo.com forward slash rmunfiltered. Uh, you can also send us a money order to New Vision Media, Inc., 1625 K Street Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006 and so we ask that you uh, do that because again we want to build a strong black owned platform where we are in control of the narrative and control our destiny tomorrow's on the show uh, check out my John Ossoff interview that I did when I was in Georgia over the weekend looking forward to that y'all folks have an absolutely uh, great day talk to you later